Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McLenahan, and in this episode, Made to Mark Human Rights Day 2023, I'm going to discuss a really fascinating subject with my guests, the Promote the Vote project. The project helps social workers support people with learning disabilities to make use of their right to vote. Despite the UK being a signatory to the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, Article 29 of which ensures the right for disabled people to vote, barriers remain which can prevent people from exercising this right. Joining me to discuss how Promote the Vote is helping people with a learning disability overcome these barriers are Hafsa Akhtar, an expert by experience, Elaine James, Head of Service for Learning Disabilities and Preparation for Adulthood at Bradford Metropolitan District Council, and Amani Ali, National Management Trainee, also based at Bradford Metropolitan District Council. Hafsa, Amani, Elaine, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you all doing? Hafsa, you first. How are you? Are you well? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. I'm really well. Lovely to see you. Uh, Elaine, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Andy. Really looking forward to today. Good. And Amani, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Really excited for today. Thank you for having us. How are you? Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm good. I'm I'm good. Thank you. So this is the first time for you guys all on Let's Talk Social Work. Is it the first time you've been on a podcast? Hassa, is this your first time? Yeah, this is my really first time. Okay, wonderful. Well, actually, for the listeners, this is our second attempt at making this podcast. We tried last Friday. This is, um, what day is today? This is Wednesday, the 22nd of November. Uh, we had a catastrophic um, IT failure. I won't, I won't say who was responsible for it, but it, it meant we had to delay, postpone. I'm so glad we're back doing this again today. So Hafsa, it's great to have you here for your, we'll still call it your first time in a podcast because it's the first time we did it properly. Elaine, what about you? And only little local podcasts, nothing like this, Andy. This is massive, isn't it? The grandeur of Let's Talk Social Work. Yes, <laughs> I'm joking. Thank you. It's wonderful <laughs> to have you. And Amani, this is your first time as well, yeah? Yeah, first time, second attempt. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased to be able to discuss this project. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and there's a huge amount that I, I, I want to learn from you guys. And I'm sure that our listeners will learn as well. Now, if we start... Um, I'm aware that people with a learning disability are less likely to be registered to vote than the average for the general population. I was reading a 2019 report by the charity MenCap and it highlights that the Electoral Commission estimates that one in four people with a learning disability are not registered to vote. So that's 25%. But that compares to 15% of the wider population who are unregistered. Hafsa and Elaine, I'm really keen to know what are the barriers that learning disabled people face when it comes to registering to vote. Would you be able to talk me through some of those? Hafsa, could you give me your perspective on that? What are the barriers that would prevent a person with a learning disability from registering to vote? Sometimes it's the parents and guardians that think that a person with a disability doesn't have the capacity to work and that's why I think people with disabilities are not mostly registered, registered for so yeah. So that issue of capacity, that's something I really want to come back to soon. Um, but when we were chatting earlier, Hafsa, you mentioned that you felt that some people with a learning disability may not think themselves that they have the right to vote. Is that a barrier that you would see? Yeah, I, I would say some people... So they wouldn't have the ability to work because they think they don't have a way. So 
something like that. And that's why they don't, they don't register. Yes. Yes. And Elaine, that figure, the 25% um, that uh, the Electoral Commission estimates that one in four people with a learning disability are unregistered to vote. Does that chime with your experience? Do you think that figure is accurate? Yeah. And I'd, I'd say that's probably quite an underestimate, Andy. Um, okay. There's been a, uh, there's quite limited research internationally, but there is research and it covers, um, there's been research in J- Japan, um, in West Africa and in um, Australia, there's a really strong tradition of this research in Australia, um, as well as in the UK. Um, the most, the best estimate I, I've seen, um, which I now think is out of date as well and probably still an overestimate, was work done by Professor Chris Hatton, who's based um, at the Centre for Learning, Disability and Autism Research um, in Manchester, Manchester Met. Um, his work indicates that possibly about 30% of people with learning disabilities are registered. This is a population of 1.4 million people in the UK. And the literature and subsequent work, which we've done in a really small way in Bradford, we've looked really deeply at the Bradford population over probably the last five to six years, we've been campaigning on this matter in support and solidarity with user-led organisations. I still think that's a massive overestimate. Um, we, We find when we first started campaigning that it was down to probably no more than about 15% 15% of people with learning disabilities knew they had a right, felt they had a right, or people that supported them thought that they had a right to register. Okay, so that is a huge disparity. So the mm. electoral commission are saying 75%, you're saying no, 30% no based chance. on research down to 15% business experience. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's more like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm also, I don't want to take us on a totally sideways tangent, but it's interesting in the Australian uh, context, as I understand, it's a mandatory legal requirement that you vote in Australia. Well, it's it's just different. So in the UK, the issue is that you have to register. So the barrier is, do you know and understand you have a right to register? Do people support and enable you to do so? In Australia, it's the other way around. In Australia, you are automatically enrolled. But colleagues in Australia who are doing research in this area in the state of Victoria, they're quite proactive in Victoria. What they've found is um, anybody can just go to your GP and have you removed off the electoral register. So they're trying to understand at the moment um, on what basis a family member or a, a a supporter would go to a GP and how GPs would respond to that request because they're concerned that people are being removed off the roll. Okay. And is that social work-led research? Social work-led research in Australia, yeah. Okay, There's a, okay. a global centre in the University of Canberra as well around dem- democracy and participation. So um, uh, there's, there's, when you start looking, you can find quite a lot of interest around the world in this topic. Absolutely. Because when I had looked at this, even when you search for promote the vote often, and this is something we can come on to later, um, it's about uh, encouraging voting among uh, d- other disadvantaged groups or groups yeah. that are uh, marginalised um, often as a result of ethnicity. So that's that's interesting, yeah. Um, mm. So I mentioned in the introduction that the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, it ensures the right to vote for disabled people, but more than that, it places positive obligations on states to guarantee disabled people can participate in political and public life on an equal basis. I'm keen to know what these positive obligations cover. You know, for example, what reasonable adjustments are polling centres required to make to facilitate voting? And Hafsa, so I'd be really interested in your views on this as well, because I'm aware that you are um, a wheelchair user. Yeah. Um, so in terms of physical barriers, have you ever encountered any physical barriers? And I'd be keen to hear from Elaine and Amani about how those barriers have to be overcome. Yeah, like, I'm registered to... Um, I've since... I turned 18, I registered 
proposed to the world. I've never been to a polling station when it's come to mind because I'm always worried that accessibility might be an issue or they might not have accessibility. Mm. And I'm worried that what would the people may think of me when it comes to go out more and um, yeah, so I've just um, since the age of 18 I've always done a postal walk instead of going to walk to the police station. It would be nice to go out and actually at the police station. That's what I wanted to ask, Hafsa. Would that be your preference to vote in person? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm keen to know why that is. My presumption would be that might make you feel more involved in the whole process. Yeah. Is that, is that part of it? Yeah, that's the one part of it. Because sending a postal away is easy, but then, then again, I don't get to see how the whole process works and stuff like that. So There are also, I think, from the, the democratic point of view, there are issues with postal voting and that you have to cast them early, don't you? Yeah. So, you know, were there something, were there some revelation in a, an electoral campaign before voting day? Keep me right in this, Elaine, if, if I'm totally wrong here, it's, um, sort me out, but say there was some scandal that broke on the day before voting. If you've already cast your postal vote, the vote is cast. Is, is, that, is that correct? Is there a potentially an issue there about disadvantaging people from full participation by requiring postal votes or? Yeah, so um, the Electoral Administration Act, that's the one that sets out in the UK, 2006, specific reasonable adjustments that are permissible. And people tend not to realise how extensive that is. HAFSA could literally be supported into a polling booth with somebody to actually help and guide a hand to put across. There's it's there's so many adjustments that can be made if polling clerks know about them and if people know that they can access them. Um, my concern about postal votes, um, two things really. The first thing is that bit about, well, it's not up to the wire, is it? You've got to get your vote in. So that's the first bit. Um, the second bit is that voting is a collective experience and I love voting. I work for local government. I'm massively excited and it's free content. I mean, for providers of social care, you know, it's a history. It's something that really motivates and engages and it's free. It's on your telly. It's up your street. Why would you not want to be part of elections? Why would you not want to buy into it? Just doesn't connect with me at all because it's so deep in my DNA really that voting something we do and it's something we do collectively you go with your friends you go with your family you've got the buzz of being in the queue am I going to actually get in on time or are they going to shut the doors on me because there's like a clock on it the how's it gone chatter and the banter you have with the oh who's what the vote looked like all that's a really participatory it's part of civic belonging it helps you feel like you're part of a place doesn't it do you remember your first election and um, I voted the first time I could and I went with my dad. Uh, and it's a really important thing about kind of people with disabilities. One of the things I hear is, oh, no, love, they, they'll just vote through the like, look of literally a quote that somebody once gave me. That's awful. And I, what, I, what I wanted to say back was, what do you think I do? I vote for who I like the look of ever since I first voted when I went with my dad to cast my first ever vote the first time I was able to do it. It's what everybody does and it's part of that sense of being part of everybody else that I think have so your 
connecting with and talking about there? Yeah, we've been nice to have a bit more, like, feel a bit more part of the writing process. I mean, by opposed to writing, it's not that bad, but actually going out there and seeing the whole process would be really nice. So, yeah, I think they should, like, have and stuff like that. And if, if a person who is a wheelchair user arrives at a polling station and if the polling station isn't accessible, now forgive me if this is the wrong question to ask, Lee, and perhaps polling stations are all vetted in advance to make sure they are accessible, but were a person who's a wheelchair user to turn up and find it inaccessible, what has to happen at that stage? Oh, well, I'm not an electoral official, so you'd probably need a bit of advice on money. may have a little bit more of that than me. Um, but the idea about personal and proxies as alternative options, um, to, uh, again, I would sort of say two things to that. Maybe there's two things to everything. Um, it, I do think there's like a, a, there's a collective experience that you need to be part of. That's what voting is. But also there is an opportunity for people to get in the way if you vote. I have had experiences, Andy, which are not that unrecent, really, where um, 11 people with learning disabilities, were, um, we were advised they would prefer to postal vote. Um, they completed their postal votes. A social worker went back in a couple of days later after the election and found all 11 postal votes in the office having never been posted. Um, and I, I think the potential for trying to unpick it, it, nobody had deliberately set out to deny them their voice and deny them their right. They just hadn't posted them. Somebody thought somebody else was doing it. Somebody else that wasn't in that day. The actual post box was a five minute walk from the end of the drive. Would so you forget to post your own vote that. though? You know, that's, that's what's the question you'd be asking. Never. Yeah. You would never forget to post your own vote because no. I wouldn't post, I'd go and vote. Yes, yes. Something that Hafsa mentioned at the very start was around a perception that some people with a learning disability may lack the mental capacity to vote, to engage in the democratic process. Elaine, I want to know what the law says in relation to mental capacity and learning disability and voting. Yeah, the, the law's really clear. The 2006 Electoral Administration Act, it specifically removed mental incapacity as grounds to prevent people registering in the UK. So it's really clear. Armani would be able to add colour to that answer though, wouldn't you, Armani? Yeah, absolutely. I think... There's often a misperception which Hafsa and Elaine have touched on about this idea of incapacity or a false vote, which I've even heard of. And I think we're moving so far away from that. Although we've not completely moved from that, we we must continue with Promote the Vote to ensure that this idea, this ideology is completely removed. But as I say, it's it's removed as a legitimate reason. So there are no barriers, nothing can stop an individual with learning disabilities to vote. It's all about their choice. We talk about voice and I'm speaking from a Bradford perspective, the idea of voice and inclusivity, our EDI agenda is really massive. It's it's so important to uphold that right. Um, and as I say, social workers and student social workers have been working on this for many years now in Bradford to um, support people exercise their right, whether that's registering from helping them register or accessing the polling booths um, like we touched on before it's 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 part of the campaign that everyone's involved um, and and the law supports this which is a really really positive tell me more about promote the vote then so it's Bradford is it is it Bradford born and bred no it's a it's a bit of a mix Andy and okay. um, so 
from a social work perspective, it was Hertfordshire Born and Bred uh, and colleagues in Hertfordshire and two amazing social workers, Warren and Jamie, uh, who I want to name check because they came up with the branding to begin with. And they did work with users um, in organisation, the parliamentary, um, um, the electoral commission and the ombudsman. They um, gave a small grant to Hertfordshire and they did the first ever um, major campaign getting social workers to go out and collect information about people registering and voting. And when was that? And then when support and enable them. So that was in the 2015 general election. So they started it. But in Bradford, um, Armani, in Bradford, we had, um, do you want to talk about Bradford People First? Because they went first before we did, didn't they? Absolutely. So Bradford People First are a local user-led organisation and they begun the campaigning and positively they're actually re-campaigning in the run-up to the next um, election, which is really amazing news. We're doing a lot of work with them and currently they're they're creating a video to support learning disabled people to vote. And it was them who invented the voting passport, which is an essential tool that people with learning disabilities can take with them on the day of voting. And it sort of specifies a reasonable reasonable adjustment that they may need. And it's just about providing that essentially is a tool to support them to vote and to make the polling clerks aware of it. But Bradford People First and other local youth-led organisations are very on board with Promote the Vote, as I say, within Bradford. And it's, it's really great that the word of Promote the Vote is spreading, um, such as um, a visit Elaine and I went to um, South End last month, which we can cover in in um, later on in the podcast, definitely. But it's just a real positive that the the campaign's growing. So I'm really keen to know more about the voter passport. Uh, who was involved in the development of that? So Amani had mentioned that that was a user led yeah. initiative. Can you tell me a bit more about that, Elaine? Yeah. So um, so Hertfordshire went first with Promote the Vote, and Promote the Vote was about adults, uh, social workers, adult social workers working with um, user led organisations to. Um, literally promote the vote, to talk to people about the right to register, to go out and collect information and to support plan around voting rights. Um, the in Bradford, We then picked that up and at the time I then worked for Calderdale. So we then ran uh, in 27, um, in 2015, we did some of that work in Calderdale as well in partnership with Hertfordshire. When I came to move to Bradford, I moved to Bradford in 2017 and um, I'd I'd got this idea in my head about social workers working in support and in solidarity with user-led organisations. What I found is that in Bradford, we've got a really strong tradition of it. And I'm really, really proud to work for this local authority as a result because it puts democratic purpose right at the heart of our social work intervention. Um, Bradford People First, um, BTM, which is another local organisation that focuses on accessible information, School of Rock Media, which who support Hafsa, where Hafsa works and is a an, an employee of that of that user led charity. Um, all of them had been campaigning for a long time about the right to vote. There's Keithley and Craven People First as well. They'd worked with our electoral officials in the council and looked at the Electoral Administration Act and created a. a one side of A4, it's 
double-sided the document. It's piece of A4 paper, but all electoral uh, polling clerks in Bradford are all trained. They know it, they recognise it, they know what's on it. And it describes the reasonable adjustments that are permissible under the Electoral Administration Act. And it says, I'm, I'm Elaine. These are the things that I need to support me. And it means that polling clerks then have something that they know is grounded in the law and they know that it's a lawful process to support and enable that person. And for the person, it's um, the documents, it's we distribute it. We decided to kind of build a campaign around that as social workers and lean in to support and amplify voices of people with disabilities in Bradford. So we um, we now pull together a whole pack of resources. Um, it's all free. It's all accessible. Anybody anywhere in the world can contact us or access them from those organisations I've listed or on our website. And every election we now go out, we, visit, we send out to nearly 900 people with learning disabilities, their families, and anybody who lives in a supported living setting, we personally visit in order to take them through um, that literature and to to help them look at the the reasonable adjustments they may need as documented on the voter passport. And when you're working with um, care providers, people sorry, and people who are living in supported living, are you working with the care providers to resource them to help the people that they're caring for, or are you directly engaging with um, the service users themselves? Bit of both. Okay. So, um, so I think it's. I don't think social workers social workers are great assessing machines, which is probably quite controversial because in in England they've become assessing machines. I think social workers are social and relational in nature. And the the act of the conversation, the act of supporting somebody to feel that they belong and that their voice should be heard in elections is massive. There's literally no bigger decision. If you can vote and you can, lawfully, you can register and participate, then what logically flows is everything else that you decide to do that day is a lesser thing and you can do that too. So I think that's what social work is there for. In addition, we work with our commissioners and we um, have uh, forums for providers and we do collect information about what um, what providers are doing so we do ask them a number of questions and we've been collecting information about the work of providers now going back to uh, 2019 since May 2019 we've got with every election we've gathered information from the providers. In terms of when social workers become involved in the programme and sorry in the project what sort of training do they receive to help them help other people? Yeah uh, so we start early. Um, I think that the piece, the professional capabilities framework at point of entry in England, a buzzword tool is a really powerful tool. And um, the PCF domains around rights and knowledge uh, and organisational context and leadership all come into play in Promote the Vote. Um, you start at point of entry that um, as part of readiness for practice in our social work education uh, through our teaching partnership, we get students involved in Promote the Vote. They come on briefing sessions and um, social workers train other social workers, Andy. Mm -hmm. So every year we ask the social workers from the previous campaign to pull together a little presentation about their learning from it and they present that to other social workers going forward. Brilliant. And Hafsa, are you involved in that training as well? Are you part of that as, as an expert by experience? You haven't been yet, but you are next year because we filmed you, haven't we, Hafsa? Yeah. I'm not part of it now, but I will be next year. Brilliant. And are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I am. Okay, what if you think of the, the most important thing that you would share with the social workers from your experience, what would that be? I know I'm putting you on the spot a bit, Hafsa, but the main thing that you would want to share with social workers involved in Promote the Vote? I would tell them 
about my difficulties I have when I'm like how they could make probably make it bad a bad experience for people with disabilities and Okay, that's that's great. And that's going to be incredibly helpful. Um, some, something else I'm keen to explore now, um, and Hafsa would be interested in your views on this as well, the, the requirement to have photo ID to be able to vote, that was introduced by the UK government for the, the recent English local government elections. Um, I know that it's not a requirement for Scottish Parliament and Welsh Senate elections. It is going to be from now on a requirement for UK general elections and it's been for a long time a requirement in Northern Ireland. Has that been a particular barrier that's that's come up for people with a learned disability or people with a learned disability less likely to have a photo ID? It can be a barrier um, as there's sometimes some confusion around what photo ID can be. I remember a conversation I had was um, that people with learning disabilities might not have a driving license, which a lot of um, a lot of people may ordinarily think that that they have. Um, however, things like passport, and I think there's some effort to explain what photo ID can be permissible. So that can be sort of a um, a bus pass, for example. Um, but as I say, I think introducing more education around that is is definitely beneficial as well. I don't know if Elaine, you want to come in, but um, I think, yeah, with the new legislation, it's it's definitely interesting to see how it'll pan out. Yeah, um, Andy, I, there's a couple of things I'm worried about, really. Um, I'm worried about care leavers. Um, we support quite a lot of people, um, young people who are care leavers who have mild disabilities, but actually the primary need was around being through the care system. Um, the, it's... Uh, I, it's really important for for them to be able to know that they're not excluded because by right they should be supported to have a passport and their passport should provide them with photo ID. And that's harder if you're an adult with a learning disability. Um, As an adult with a learning disability, if nobody's ever thought that you can travel, then you're not going to have a passport, are you? Um, so there's some stuff about kind of bus passes that becomes then important. Um, we On a national level, LD England, Learning Disability England, are really concerned about the issue of photo ID. Um, and they're really concerned that people will perceive it's a bigger barrier because they won't realise and know the number of different forms of identification that can be used. So the more that we can do to make sure people know and understand what is permissible around photo ID, the that's quite a powerful tool, I think, that we've got that we need to be working on as social workers. Um, and secondly, proactively taking steps to make sure that people have um, identification forms that are ones that will meet the requirement for voter ID. And Alain, I'm just looking up, I just Googled as we were chatting there, the cost of a UK um, passport, £82.50 yep. for an adult, 16 and over. Now, you could argue that that's an economic barrier to engaging in the democratic process. Are there low-cost or no-cost alternatives that are acceptable as a voter ID to engage in, in voting? Yeah, so um, acceptable forms of ID. Um, so obviously bus passes, I think I mentioned those earlier on. Uh, the identity card, which has proof of age standards on it. Um, uh, um, the biometric immigration document, Ministry of Defence Form 90. That's important about, um, I mean, this isn't a necessarily a learning disability issue, but I would want to mention it really. Uh, the identity card, the national identity card from an EE state. But the one that might be uh, photo driving licence, 
In terms of adults with learning disabilities, however, I would suggest that the thing that's worth knowing about is the Voter Authority Certificate. That was a new form of ID brought in under the Voter ID Registration. Um, that's something that you can apply for if you don't have accepted photo ID. If you physically change, so you don't look like your photo on your ID and you're worried about that, if your name's changed for some reason, and that is an online application that you fill in, or you can fill hard copies out your electoral services locally. Bradford certainly does that. And they we in locally in Bradford, we have Easy Read, we have large print versions. Um, and uh the, the default alternative, however, is the postal vote. You need photo ID if you're voting in person. And we've just we talked earlier about why that's so important. So I would say that for adults with learning disabilities, um, understanding about the voter authority certificate is really important. We have easier read guides that we produce with BTM, our accessible information user-led organisation on it, and they're producing some video content. But as I mentioned earlier, Learning Disability England are really quite concerned about this matter and are producing national resources for anyone can access for those. I know Baswa was very concerned mm. with the introduction of the requirement to have voter ID and it was, you know, seen as a concocted problem. You know, the government yeah. were saying this is to address voter fraud when there are such, such low incidences of voter fraud. Yeah. It did feel to many to be a barrier against disadvantaged groups who may not have been voting for the party that introduced those measures. But if we move on, um, I'm keen to know if there are other benefits uh, in terms of empowerment, you know, in relation to promoting the right to vote. So it's incredibly important that people... Everyone's involved in the democratic process. It's very important that people with learning disability are able to make their voice heard. But in terms of empowering people and making them, you know, having them understand the agency they have to engage in that process, does that have other benefits? You know, I'm thinking, does that, could that encourage people with a learning disability to be more vocal about their interests in terms of where they live, who they live with, aspects of their lifestyle? Elaine, is that a factor? Yeah, so um, Parliament, the the capabilities, the capacities that are, that you develop develop by being part of a political process. Uh, Voting is just one form of it, isn't it? Representational democracy. There's other ways of doing it, and I think Hafsa is a really powerful example of that. And um, Hafsa hasn't been to a polling station, but you have been to the count, haven't you, Hafsa? Yeah. So last year you came with me to the count, and you've challenged the returning officer to employ you at the count next year as part of our team Bradford elections team. Do you want to Wow, tell me about that, that Hassa. Mm. I want to know about that. That was last year when I went down to see the um Carly, the count uh said both spots in there. It was it was really interesting seeing how the whole process worked. And yeah, really enjoyed seeing Everyone decides around tables and counting all the the votes. I bet it's a long process because when when I saw it, it was like, wow, I didn't know how it all worked for, but when I went down, Last year to Sandberg to see Harley, which is really interesting, and um, I think I got a chance to speak to Kirsten in England about voting and stuff, and then yeah, we're really, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. 
That's fantastic. And it's so, so good that you're being empowered by engaging the process. Now, I am quite switched on politically. I've never missed an election. I've never been to a vote count though, Hafsa. So yes, kudos. Uh, fair play to you. One of the things I'm, I'm interested in, kind of jumping back a little bit, um, but one of the things we were talking about was social workers uh, working with people who are living in supported accommodation and the staff working there. What about if uh, a person with a learning disability is living with their family? Have you been engaging at that level as well, Elaine? Um, so we send packs out every year and in them they've got the voter authority easier read voter authority certificate information postal voting proxy voting the voters to get everything goes out and we also send guides out about what is what is the council what what is an what is a um, an election what's it for what is government and those are all easier read guides that people with learning disabilities in Bradford thought would be useful so they go out um, directly to people and families with disabilities and a lot of people uh, about a third of people we support with long-term support needs in Bradford who live at home. Um, a lot of those people living at home use the flexibility of a direct payment to self-direct their support. One of the things that the social workers have permission to do here in Bradford is to make one-off small reasonable adjustments on the day on our part where we can flex a direct payment or flex a support plan if they live somewhere like supported living that would allow and enable wherever you live whether you live at home with family and you you need some PA support or whether you're living in supported living to and you need somebody to assist you physically assist you on the day and we've built that flexibility in for social workers regardless of where your start point is Um, uh, and then our daycare providers are really engaged so there's um, we talked earlier about our user-led organisations are on board and our daycare provider we have a particular provider that um, delivers for about 500 people in the district they're really positive and they all get involved in our um, build up to the election and our special schools are coming on board this year so we've got a citizenship programme running that's running in four mainstream schools with through the SENCOs and we're extending that into the special schools and in readiness for next year actually for the election so it's a kind of full community effort across the life course for adults and for young people with disabilities transitioning into adulthood. That's wonderful that's really incredible. Uh, One of the things uh, I've I've come across in in doing research for this episode it's the come back to MenCap who I mentioned earlier Um, they've conducted research that highlights that some people with a learning disability find the culture of politics to be inaccessible. I think that probably goes wider than people with a learning disability. A lot of people find politics confusing and inaccessible, but in relation to their research, it quoted a woman named Sarah who explained, and this is Sarah's quote, I haven't voted before because I don't have enough information about the different parties. When I listen to them speak, I don't understand what they're talking about. Politicians use really complicated language. I want to vote in the future, but I need more accessible information so that I am more informed and can then choose who I want to vote for. With that in mind, the charity Mencap, they've called for all political parties to publish high-quality, easy-read versions of their manifestos at the same time as publishing their full manifestos. Is that an issue that Promote the Vote has considered supporting? And Hafsa, I'd be really keen to know from your perspective about uh, understanding what uh, candidates are claiming to stand for. Is it an issue that you have found difficult to engage with yourself? Yeah, when it, when it comes to reading the information about voting, sometimes I've been there. I've, I've started um, reading a bit and then halfway through, I'm like, 
I don't understand the thing. And um, that's what I would like to say. That uh, it should be a bit more reader-friendly for people with learning difficulties and stuff like that. Sometimes when I've come to reading it, it's, I'm not, I can't understand half of the words they've written there. And it's so confusing and sometimes it puts me off. So I end up um, reading a bit and leaving it because I'm like, I'm not reading if I don't understand. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think it should be better friendly for uh, people with learning difficulties so they can understand what what's going to happen and what's going on. Thank you, Hassa. Now, with that in mind, Amani um, and Elaine, does promote the vote? Do they focus on that issue of encouraging the production of easy read manifestos to help people with learning disability engage? Amani, you're nodding. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the back of Hassa's comment, um, Elaine talked about Rubber Talking Media and they do a lot of work. And I think often we assume that English is the first language of many people, but it's not. I think um, making versions available in different languages, even audio versions, Braille, etc. But for talking media, do that really well. And ensuring that accessibility is met, um, as Hafsa was talking about, even language, jargon, keywords that might be commonly understood need to sort of be broken down even further. And Promote the Vote definitely does that. It's all about making the campaign accessible and understandable for people with disabilities. So one section of it is that um, promote the vote campaigns to raise awareness. And the second section is that um, support will be in place for people with learning disabilities if they choose to exercise this vote. So I think promote the vote really advocates to ensure that it upholds the rights of everyone. And as, as we mentioned before, ensuring that civic participation is, is achieved and, and how people want to access it should be um, supported with as well. Thanks, Amani. Now, I want to look at other other areas in relation to promote the vote that can be looked at. Other social work, uh, can social workers be involved, sorry, working with other groups who may be marginalised or less likely to be registered? And one of the groups that I'm thinking of in particular, Annalie, and you mentioned care leavers. According to the Electoral Commission, only 60% of 18 and 19-year-olds are registered as uh, registered to vote, and I, I presume that number would most likely be lower amongst care leavers. Do social workers have a role then to work with other groups, care leavers, for example, being one? Yeah, um, you can register from 17. So what we've done, what we've been doing with the um, schools in Bradford is we've been trying to make it part of education, health and care planning and the um the, there's a specific domain around citizenship that's part of you preparing for adulthood. And um, every young person with a specialist um, with intense support, um, including care leavers, most care leavers should be somewhere within that. Should have preparation for outcome, preparation for adulthood outcomes. I would argue it sits there, and I think it is a core social work task to support people to, for their first registration. So on their 18th birthday, they get their first ever polling card. 
children don't vote. Children have bedtimes. Adults don't have bedtimes. Adults vote. It's part of becoming an adult. And also wider than that then as well, there's differences in voter registration based on ethnicity. So 80%, sorry, 87% of white people are registered to vote according to the, the Electoral Commission. Levels are lower for Asian people at 80% and black people lower again at 72%. Is there more for social workers, uh, social work as a profession to do to address barriers uh, that lead to this underrepresentation? Yeah, so so I think we have to be critically reflective of ourselves. How reflective are we of, of the... Um, of the demographic issues that we're trying to address. Um, so my service um, in Bradford, we're on track to be the youngest city in Europe and to have 40% of our population would be, I think, under 25. And um, si- uh, similar demography around um, Pakistani Asian ethnicity as a, a heritage and, and a background for people. When I first started, our employment was 75% white British. We've done a huge amount of work around working with our Bradford teaching partnership, our progression pipelines, making ourselves at um, appear to be a good place that people would want to work and want to stay as a social work profession and grow and develop. And now um, 60% of recruitment is non-white British in Bradford. We've still got a long way to go, and um, particularly at management levels, because whoever leads the social work leads what's important to the social work. So if you're going to address these structural issues, we need to look at ourselves as a profession. It's really impressive. I fancy a trip over to Bradford myself. To yeah, come. Some more about this. Yes. We'd love but you. But in terms of, yeah, in terms yeah. of travel, uh, Amani, you said earlier that you've been on the road promoting, promote the vote. Uh, did you say Southend? Is that one of the places you've been? Yes. Elaine and I spent um, a day in Southend last month, which was really excellent. We held a workshop, which we delivered to local um, advocacy groups, um, user-led organisations, social workers and the team. And it was all about how Promote the Vote works in Bradford and getting their buy-in from Southend. So we understand that there are, there are demographic differences um, and a different city, of course. So it was all about introducing our um, our guide that we are, um, that we've put together. So within Bradford Adult Social Care, we've um, put together a guide and in terms of the session in South End, it was really positive to get their buy-in and feedback on how they thought that um, Promote the Vote could um, work in the city. So it's really excellent. As I was talking about earlier, the word of mouth um, influence is, is really brilliant. Now the guide. I want to know more about this. So this is the practice guide that Promote the Vote and Baswa are co-producing together. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. So Bradford Adult Social Care is partnering with Baswa to produce a UK-wide call to action. So it's a resource which is aimed at streamlining Promote the Vote on a UK-wide scale. Okay, wonderful. And Elaine, where can social workers access that guide? So we're aiming to have that ready um, early in the new year. We're on track with the policy team at Basler to do that. Um, it's got buy-in from the co-chairs of the Principal Adult Social Worker Network and Learning Disability England. So it is a, a joint guide we're producing around um, a how to do this in your local area. Okay, Elaine, that's fantastic. So in the new year, many social workers will be listening to this episode in 2023. This episode is dropping on the 7th of December. So when the guide is available, I will put a link in the show notes. So that's going to be in the new year. If you're listening to this episode in 2024, happy new year and look in the show notes and you'll find the guide. Elaine Hafsa Amani, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm really impressed with your work. Massive congratulations and good luck for the future. Uh, we look forward to reading the guide and thank you so much for coming on to Let's Talk Social Work. Hafsa Amani, Elaine, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
It's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Andy.